here in person or you are online, I say good morning to all of you and uh, just thankful for all of you for joining this morning. Um, if you're able, why don't you stand as we worship God through uh, just songs of worship this morning. That never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. And come, all you sinners, come find his mercy. Come to the table, he will satisfy. Taste of his goodness, find what you're looking for. For God so loved. The world that he gave us, his one and only son to save us. Whoever believes in will live forever. Bring all your failures, bring your addictions. Come lay them down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting there with open arms. For God so loved the world that He gave us, He's one and only Son to save us. Whoever believes in Him will live forever. The power of hell forever defeated, now it is well. I'm walking in freedom for God so loved. God so loved the world. And praise God, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, praise Him for the wonders of His love. Praise God, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Save us, whoever believes in you, will live forever. The power of hell forever defeated, now it is well. I'm walking in freedom, for God so loved, oh God so loved the world. heaven come down King of heaven come down let your glory reign shining like the day King of heaven come and Jesus let your kingdom come let your will be done in us in Jesus 
there is no one greater. You alone are Savior. Show the world your love. King of heaven, come down. King of heaven, come down. Let your glory reign, shining like the day. King of heaven, come. King of heaven, rise up. Who can stand against us? You are strong to save in your mighty name. King of heaven, come. We are children of your mercy. Rescued for your glory, we cried, Jesus, set our hearts towards you, and every eye would see you, lifted high. King of heaven, come down, King of heaven, come down. Let your glory reign, shining like the day. King of heaven, come. King of heaven, rise up. Who can stand against us? You are strong to save in your mighty name. King of heaven, come. And King of heaven. Let your glory reign, shining like the day. King of heaven, come. King of heaven, rise up. Who can stand against us? You are strong to save in your mighty name. King of heaven, come. Nice to see you this morning. Why don't you wave, say hi to somebody as you're seated today. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning. I'm sure most of you, uh, well, I'm sure all of you woke up this morning, so that's a, that's, that's a good thing, and uh, probably were kind of waking up like I was today, not really sure what to expect out there, you know? Uh, I just find it really interesting, the, the hype that's created with the possibility of snow. And so I thought, okay, what's, what's going to be out there? Is this, gonna, is this a big shoveling job? Is this going to be, you know, church canceled? And I looked out and, and this little skim of snow was on my car. And I thought, yeah, I think we're going to be okay. I think we're going to be okay. So thank you for braving that this morning and getting here. And uh, yeah, you're safe. And you're 
hopefully you're sound, and uh, we're glad you're here, and we can worship together and uh, experience God's presence together in this place this morning. That's, we've gathered to be together, to experience His presence together, to, to grow together, to work together, and so we're glad that you're, you're here this morning. I want to ex- extend an invitation or a welcome to all of you watching on the live stream as well. We're glad you're joining us today. If this is your first time at Evangel, we're delighted that you're here. We want to welcome you and uh, say we're delighted that you're here. We want to offer an opportunity to come alongside and serve you and help you as best we can. If you would fill out a card that you'll see in the chair pocket in front of you and leave it at the information desk in the foyer, we'll be prompt to follow up if follow up is what you desire. Uh, And uh, also just to, to know that you are here and let us know how we can serve you. Um, as well. And maybe you might have some questions even. So we're glad that you're here. We're going to take up our offering. We're also going to invite our kids to uh, slip out. Volunteers, you're free to go. Ask our ushers to receive our morning tithes and offerings last Sunday of January. And just a reminder today as well, you can also give electronically at giving at epcoakville.com. Thank you and God bless you. And I'm going to hand it back over to Andrew this morning to continue to lead us. God bless you. stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you call tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Searching for answers far and wide, but I know we're all searching for answers. Only you provide, and we know just what we need before we say a word. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved. You are perfect in all of you. 
are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways.
don't count anymore. All praise to the one who has ransomed my soul. Calvary covers it all. No power on earth, not even the grave, can separate us from mercy and grace. It's faithful to say, oh, His blood never fails. Calvary covers it all. And Calvary covers it all. My sin and shame don't count anymore. All praise to the one who has ransomed my soul. Calvary. Thank you, Jesus, for, for saving us, for making a way for us, for paying the ransom that was due for us. Thank you, Lord, for, for your never-ending never ending faithfulness to us. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice that, that we're able to live in freedom because of your sacrifice. So thank you for that reminder this morning. God, I just pray for the rest of the service, that for everything else that you might be doing here today, Lord, in our hearts, would you move, would you speak to us, would you fill us this morning? Thank you that we're able to gather, that we're able to tune in online. I just pray that, that as Pastor Shannon preaches this morning, that you would be speaking through him that we would learn more about you, that we would grow closer to you this morning. We'd be encouraged by your word this morning. So would you just continue to, to be with us here today? 
through the rest of this service, would you have your hand on each and every part of it? We thank you again, Lord, for who you are and for what you do. Thank you for, for this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our scripture this morning is found in Matthew chapter 18, and we're reading verses 19 and 20. And it's Jesus speaking here. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. In 2013, it's not working, Michael, I don't know. Oh, sorry, here we go. In 2013, Jennifer and I planned a 25th wedding anniversary trip to the Tuscany region in Italy. It was our dream trip. We had talked about it and planned for it for, well, pretty much 25 years. And um, that year that we planned to go, our trip got postponed because of a work crisis. And then for the eight years following, (laughs) there were family crises, and there were work crises, and there were health crises, and then a pandemic crisis that kept causing us to put it off and put it off and put it off for many, many years. But last August, we finally got to take our dream trip. Our Tuscany resort sent a taxi driver to the airport to pick us up and drive us to our long-awaited vineyard villa. Our driver was a very animated, energetic fellow. And I'm really understating that. (laughs) He walked fast. He talked fast, and we squeezed into his little car with our luggage, and off we headed from Florence to the winding roads of Tuscany. The first emotions were sentimentality. I mean, there we were. We're finally here. After so long and after everything that had transpired, here we were, and everything was more beautiful than we even imagined. But it wasn't long before our emotions turned to paralyzing fear. Because the only thing faster than his walking and his talking was his driving. And we thought, literally, for sure, we would not live to make it to our destination as he drove so fast on these winding hillside roads. And to make matters worse, the whole drive, despite his knowing that we did not speak or understand Italian, he talked nonstop. And because we didn't understand, he would often take his hands off the wheel and and engage in what was sort of like playing charades to help us understand. I'm like, okay, 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 I get it, I get it. Put your hands back on the wheel. You're going to kill us. And so where we were immersed in this new culture with this person and we, 
and we, we couldn't speak his language, and it was just a really interesting, scary, challenging experience, to say the least. It's always challenging when we find ourselves in another culture, as much as, you know, like for someone like me, I love other cultures, and I love learning about other cultures and being in other cultures, but it can be really challenging when you're in a culture that's unfamiliar to you. It can be frustrating when you're in an environment and people are speaking a language and, and you don't understand it. You, you desperately want to communicate. You desperately want to hear what's being said and, and contribute to the conversation, but you just can't. And it's, it's really difficult. To be honest, I really admire people who are able to speak multiple languages because translating from one language into another language can be very, very, very difficult. The Bible is a very complex book. To truly understand it as it is intended to be understood, we have to take into consideration that it has many cultural and historical implications to consider. I mean, when you think about it, it was written over a period of approximately 4,000 years. It was written by about 40 different authors at different phases of time. And the original transcripts of the Bible were written in three different languages. And one of them wasn't King James. The Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. And so when you bring all these things together, you understand that you're approaching a very complex book. When teaching students about interpreting the Bible, we often use this diagram. And I don't know how well you can see it, but you'll notice on this side over here is what we call their town. It's their town. It's, it's what we're reading about in Scripture. It's, it's, it's their time, their location, their context. It's, it's, it's them. And then on this side over here, we have what we call our town. Right here, right now, where we find ourselves living at this time in history. And of course, between the two towns, between when the Bible was written and where it was written and why it was written and where we find ourselves today, this river runs through these two towns and that river separates the two towns by culture and language and time and and the situation, and the context, and so on. And so, if we stop there, we'd say, well, then, you know, there's no way the Bible has any value to us today because those things separate their town from our town, and there's really nothing. But then there's this bridge that spans the two worlds. And then across that bridge, you, you determine what are the principles that you can bring from their town to ours that apply today. And so, some are easier than others, right? I mean, what do you do with the fact that you're not allowed to boil a goat in its own milk? I mean, really? You know, what do we do with that? that that's not really a practical thing for us to figure out. Or, you know, we, we, we come to accept the fact that if someone's caught in adultery, we're not going to stone them to death in public. And so, what, what are the principles? What do we bring across this bridge? Some of them are easier than others. Some are much more complex. And so, the truth is, it's easy for us to lose some of the historical, cultural, contextual value when we attempt to translate Scripture into our language because one of the things that's bringing things into English language is sometimes we don't even have a word for, for the word that's being used there. And so we've got to find something that's kind of close, 
So how do we bring it into our language? How do we bring it into our time when things are so different? How do we bring it into our culture, which is so different, into our specific context? And so that, those are the challenges with Scripture. Certainly not impossible, obviously. We celebrate the joy of what, we can, what the Scripture brings to our lives, but, but we can't minimize how complex this whole process is. It really is. Now, today, we are continuing our, continuing our winter sermon series entitled Promise Box Passages. And we've been exploring some of the most common scriptures that are taken out of context, in that bringing it from their town to our town, we, we can really miss what was intended. We're attempting to understand these scriptures within the context that they were intended to be understood when they were written and recorded. And so today, we are focusing on Matthew 18, 19 to 20, and these are verses that many of us, and I say us because me included, we've quoted them, and they're verses that we've heard quoted probably many times, and today we're going to consider the context of Matthew 18 so we can better understand what, what Jesus' intention here is when he's, when he's saying these words to us and, and, and suggesting that maybe what we often think they mean is not really what he was talking about at all. And so, as we've been doing over the last couple of weeks, just we have to frame these verses within the fuller context of what's going on. So that's what we'll do today. So we're going to start today with humility and Christian community. Matthew chapter 18, the first 14 verses, they deal with, it deals with humility and the Christian community. And so I'm just going to walk us through here step by step what's going on. And it starts with the greatest, the greatest. The thir- first three words of Matthew 18, if you have your Bible and you're looking at it, you'll notice it says, at that time, at that time. These three words are serving as a transition from what just happened, what was just being discussed, to what's now about to take place here. And so just before in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus was having a discussion, and I want to say this, like, We need to understand that chapters and verses were added to Scripture later to help us find things easier. And so sometimes it's quite often that something in the previous chapter belongs in the next chapter, but it just got divided when when chapters and verses were added. And so that's what's happening here. In Matthew 17, Jesus is having a discussion with Peter. And he's having a discussion about paying temple tax. And Jesus asked Peter about the tax collection process. Specifically, Peter, do kings of the earth collect taxes from their own sons or do they collect taxes from others? And so Peter assured him that, well, no, they they collect from others. They don't collect from their own because he knows that it was a known thing that rulers at this time exempted those who were closest to them from paying taxes. And so based on Peter's response to this, Jesus then suggested that he was technically exempt from paying temple tax, well, because he's the son of God. (laughs) And if the tax is going to the temple, which is where people worship God, and he's the son of God, then, and the Messiah, well, technically, he shouldn't be paying taxes. And so, I'm not sure how that would hold up with CRA, but he's, he's, he's laying that out there. But he says, you know what, to not offend the tax collectors... He said, I want you to go down and you'll find the money to pay the tax in the mouth of a fish, right? In the mouth of a fish. And so, 
Peter went, and sure enough, the temple tax money was found in the mouth of a fish. Now, Jesus not only demonstrated power to work a nature-controlling miracle here, but more importantly, he just demonstrated humility in paying temple tax for the very reason to avoid offending the tax collectors. And if you're like me, most often we fixate on the fact that, that's really cool, there was a coin in the fish's mouth. That's just like, that's the story. No, that's not the story. That's, not, that's a side story. The story is that Jesus, even though he didn't have to pay the tax, chose humility and avoiding the tax collectors and, and paid it anyway. And so he's showing them humility, that you can, it's okay. You, we can do these things even though technically we shouldn't have to, it's, it's okay. And on the heels of this demonstration, the disciples who seem to have impeccable timing approached Jesus and said, Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Totally missing the humility moment there. Now, likely this question is based on Jesus' comments. Since Jesus is the king in the kingdom of God, since Jesus is the son of God, well, they're just, what they're hearing is, huh, well, if he's the son of God, we must have special status as disciples too. Since we are his, his disciples, we're his followers, and we see throughout Scripture, there are many occasions where greatness in the kingdom of God is an obsession of theirs. And so to answer their question, Jesus, by the way, this is all leading up to our verses, so hang in there with me. To answer their question, I think maybe 60, 70 minutes will be there. So just hang in there. Just kidding. To answer their questions, Jesus called a little child to come and stand in front of them. And he said to them, unless you change... And become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Children at this time were socially insignificant, and they lacked status. To become like a little child meant they would need to see greatness in terms of humility. Not power, not position, not glory like the society around them taught them, Humility would be the evidence in their lives by the willingness to accept a low social status like a child. A true disciple of Jesus lacked personal power, but relied on him for their power and were more concerned with making Jesus' name great than making their own name great. He went from that to the subject, whoops, of offending. And so Jesus is using little children to illustrate and to help them understand what he's teaching. And his focus is that believers who are like little children and vulnerable and are not necessarily fully mature might be easily led astray and in fact may even be harmed, may be hurt. Pain may be inflicted on them. And so Jesus said welcoming a childlike believer in, the name, in his name, he said, it's the same as welcoming me personally. Same as welcoming me. And in the Greek, the word me is no less than me. And so what he's saying is, is when you welcome believers that are like children, immature, vulnerable, you know, potentially harmed, when you, when you harm them, you know, then you're harming, when you welcome them, you're welcoming no less than me. 
So he's reinforcing the importance of being a humble follower, not taking advantage of those who are vulnerable. Humility was not only a willingness to accept a low social status, but also included welcoming other believers, those deemed to be seen to seem insignificant, those that they thought lacked value, those who were undeserving. By receiving them, they were elevating them from insignificance to significance. And so Jesus' whole ministry was about that. And so Jesus is stressing here the importance of taking responsibility for everyone, not just those who seem to be worthy to be welcomed, but everyone. And then from there, he finishes off this section by talking about value. To reiterate the importance of not harming another person, because humans have a tendency to harm other humans. And so to reiterate the importance in the, in the community of God of not harming another person, Jesus shared a simple parable, which we also see in Luke when Jesus talked about the parable son, but here it stands alone. A parable which he represented a contrast between these believers who may do something or who may not do something they should be doing that would cause little ones, vulnerable ones, to fall away. And contrasting that to a God who is not willing that any of these little ones be lost. And so the parable tells of a man who had a hundred sheep and one of them had strayed. One might think that the shepherd would see this one sheep as insignificant because, well, he's got 99 others that were safe. What's the big deal about one that gets away? But he didn't. Instead, we're told, as Jesus is telling the story, he left the 99 safely behind and sought out the one that had strayed concentrating all of his energy on recovering the one lost sheep, the one had, that had been harmed, the one that had been hurt. And once the lost sheep was recovered, the shepherd rejoiced more over finding that one lost sheep than he did over the safety of the 99 sheep on the hills. Not that one sheep was more important than the other, but this one had been lost, this one was the focus, and now it was safe. It's now restored. Now, this parable demonstrated the contrast between those who would neglect people, those who would hurt people, those who would take advantage of people, causing them to pull away or even be pushed away. And a heavenly father who was not willing that that would happen, that any would be lost, that any would be pushed away, that any would be, you know, caused to, to run away. And so followers of Jesus Jesus' teaching here is that they should put their, be willing to put their own desires, their own attitudes aside, and take the initiative to bring the ones that have been hurt, have been ignored, who have been pushed away, and bring them into the fold. Now, Jesus used this parable to highlight the teaching, his teaching on the importance of humility. It started in chapter 17, and this string, this string of humility theme is still going, highlighting that humility was necessary for reconciliation with God and with others. If the lost ones are going to be reconciled to God, followers of Jesus must humble themselves and elevate the significance and value of others. 
if the little ones who were hurt and pushed away and ignored are going to be reconciled to the community, followers of Jesus need to demonstrate all of the attitudes and actions of humility that Jesus is highlighting in this passage. So that brings us to the first 14 verses in some of chapter 17. And now we find ourselves in the next section of this whole passage, humility and reconciliation. And we see that in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20, and that's where we find our verses for today. And it's interesting because we know that in the previous verses, Jesus is addressing those who were the offenders. But we know that there's also those who've been offended. And so now he's going to talk about what needs to happen on their end. And so with this teaching now fresh in their minds about the value of every person, the need to make sure they are not pushed away or, or forced away or, or left out there, Jesus now shifted the focus from the offender to the one who was offended. And Jesus' instruction is not in reference to a specific situation, but he's outlining a principle here of what to do if and when such a situation could arise. The offended person was not to wait for the offending person to come and and find them, but was to humbly take the initiative to go to the offending person and privately confront them. Those who had been hurt by someone, those who had been pushed away by someone, those who had been violated by someone. And the Greek word for go here implies a continual action. It's the same word that's used when Jesus said go into all the world. It's a continuous action, a movement. And so it's stressing the importance of persistence in terms of reconciliation because reconciliation is important. Jesus assumed that the confrontation between the two people would be done, you know, would be done in true humility since humility is the key to forgiveness. And he's carrying this over still. And in order to take the initiative to confront someone who's offended them, the offended person must demonstrate the attitudes and actions of humility too that Jesus highlighted in verses 1 to 14. Of humbling oneself, of putting one's personal desires aside, of elevating the value of another person by welcoming them as Jesus did. And Jesus said, if the offending person, if the one who did you wrong listened, if they listened to the offended person, well, they would be won over. Well, what does it mean to listen? It it means more than just hearing somebody's words. Listening presumes that you're hearing the words, those words are causing you to feel convicted of the wrong that you've done, that you're willing to admit that you did wrong, and that you seek forgiveness and repentance because what you've done is wrong. So when Jesus said, if they listen, this is what Jesus had in mind. It wasn't just like, okay, I've heard you, Okay, on your way. No, no, there's more to it than that. The driving motive behind forgiveness is the hope of reconciliation. To be won over is not about which one of them wins. It's about everyone winning. And that only happens when a person is restored and reconciliation takes place. And then he moves into the whole idea of determination. Jesus was aware of the possibility that the offending person 
may not favorably respond to being confronted by the offended person, right? Because human nature is prideful. And sometimes even when we're wrong and someone confronts us of wrong, we, we, we don't want to hear that. We want to deny that because, you know, we're, we're filled with pride or we just, we just don't want to admit that we were wrong. And so Jesus understood that there's a possibility that this person could build up the courage to go to an offending person and present their case and let them know and make themselves vulnerable once again that you hurt me and, and we need to reconcile this and only to have that person not respond, not favorably respond. And since the goal was reconciliation, if that's the goal, Jesus says, you got to try again. If a private conversation failed, then take, you know, two or three witnesses along with you. Go as a group and confront the sinful person again. Now, there might be some possibilities why Jesus suggested that. I mean, first of all, it was possible that he was making a reference to Jewish culture and Deuteronomic law where, you know, in court situations, oftentimes one person could not be convicted of a crime if there was only one single witness, that there needed to be multiple witnesses. And so maybe, you know, it was a situation where, you know, let, let somebody else witness what the rejection of that person with you. Perhaps the additional members were expected to act as mediators. That, you know what, if you guys can't work it out, maybe we can help you work it out. We can support you in that to improve the communication and, and offer some biblical counsel. And then if their response, it could be to, you know, to help highlight how significant the hurt was, that I'm not just coming on my own, but I'm bringing people with me because you really hurt me and what's been done is really serious and you need to recognize how serious this is. And so it's possible that Jesus had all these scenarios in mind in enlarging the side. But Jesus realized that even then, by adding other people into it, it didn't mean that the restoration and, and, and forgiveness was going to happen, that, that the offending brother might still reject. And so Jesus said, let's take it a step further. If the, if the group goes and they're rejected, well, the next step would be to inform the church of the person's behavior. Now, it's unclear here where Je whether Jesus is referencing the leadership within the church or a small group from representing the body or whether it's the community as a whole. I don't know, but in any case, what he's saying is, if the offender refused to listen to the church, then they're to be suspended from normal fellowship and treated as pagans and tax collectors. Now, that sentence is the reason that many churches call this a church discipline model and follow it as a means of excommunicating people out. When you read this, it seems a little harsh, but it's important to understand this statement in terms of the context of the scripture and in context of God's character. God's view of accountability and discipline is an act of love with restoration being the goal. Not, dis not punishment, not excommunication, but restoration is the goal. And we should see the act of discipline in this passage as being driven for restoration, not exclusion, not to push them away. The Jews had a negative attitude towards pagans and tax collectors, and we see that with Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees. However, in Matthew's gospel, tax collectors are most often referenced in the context of God's grace and mercy. Matthew himself 
being a former tax collector. And so rather than interpreting Jesus' words to mean excommunication, I believe it's better for us to understand his action as a call for continued grace and mercy towards the offender within the context of accountability with the goal of restoration. Both the offender and the offended are valued members of the community of faith. And so ongoing attempts at reconciliation were really, really important. And then finally, we get to heaven and earth. Brings us to our verses today. So all of a sudden, we read the verses that we did today, verses 18 to 20, and they appear as if they are independent sayings. But it's important for us to understand that they are a part of the verses that are directly before that we've already talked about. And in the interest of time, you might be happy to know that I intended to go to the end of the chapter, but decided to not punish you in that way. But if you read on your own for fun later, you'll notice it's the whole conversation where Peter says, how many times do I need to forgive? And Jesus does another whole parable and talking about you know, the multiple ways that, that we forgive. These verses are tied These are not standalone, out there by themselves sentences. They are tied directly to the verses we've looked at before and the verses that come after. And Jesus taught his disciples that what they bound on earth would be bound in heaven. And what they loosed on earth would be loosed in in heaven. This whole idea of the contrast in heaven and earth is found more frequently in in the Gospel of Matthew than in any of the other Gospels. And what it demonstrates is this, that the church on earth, this is what Jesus is saying, that the church on earth has the ability to take action as a community with the guidance and the authority of heaven. The language of binding and loosing is to be understood in terms of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. What is permitted and what is not permitted. True fellowship cannot exist in a Christian community with someone who is not accountable, and the community must decide whether the actions of the offender are acceptable, are permittable, or are not permittable. And when the community holds a person accountable, in a grace-filled and mercy-focused way and refuses to allow inappropriate behavior to continue and attitudes to continue that causes hurt for other people, what Jesus is saying here is when you take those steps, you have the support and the endorsement of heaven. And when the community demonstrates grace and mercy to the one who demonstrates inappropriate behavior and attitudes that cause, when that grace is shown, they have the support and endorsement of heaven. Accountability and grace is endorsed in heaven. Furthermore, Jesus told them that if two of you on earth agree on anything that you ask for, it would be done for them. Now, this is not, and this is important, this is not a blanket promise that God will answer any prayer of any two believers. Rather, it must be understood in light of the context of everything we've talked about this morning, the whole chapter. And it's a promise that if the one who is offended and the one who is the offender come together in agreement and reconciliation takes place, their decision on earth to reconcile will be ratified in heaven. 
And finally, Jesus told them that if two or three of them come together in my name, he would be there with them. In his name relates to acting in his authority. If the offender, the one who caused the harm, and the offended come together in humble resolution as Jesus has outlined in this chapter, God's desire for reconciliation will be realized and it will result in Jesus' presence dwelling within that reconciled gathering. When the followers of Jesus pursued reconciliation with an attitude of humility, they exercised the authority of heaven. They gained the approval of heaven. And they had the assurance that the guiding and authoritative presence of Jesus was with them. So, what? Matthew 18 emphasizes the importance of forgiveness and reconciliation within the Christian community and provides principles for us to guide us as a Christian community in Jesus' goal of reconciliation. And because forgiveness and reconciliation in the Christian, Christian community are only possible in a context of humility. Without humility, reconciliation will never happen. Verses 1 to 14 focus specifically on that, on the attitudes and actions that demonstrate true humility. Jesus helped the disciples to see that true greatness in the kingdom of God comes from humility, comes from being content in a lower status, from relying on, for relying on Him for their power, for making His name great rather than our own. Jesus teaches us to resist elevating our own personal status and agenda and instead elevate the status and value of others by welcoming them as if they were welcoming and we are welcoming Jesus himself. Humility is the key to forgiveness when injustice has occurred. Jesus expected an offended brother to act in humility by first taking all of the initiative to pursue reconciliation and then even if necessary to involve other people. These relentless attempts at reconciliation were to be driven by humility, acknowledging the value of a person, being willing to suffer personal inconvenience for the sake of reconciliation, making on, taking ongoing action to restore an offender to the community. The entire chapter in Matthew is to be understood in terms of reconciliation and forgiveness. And so then binding and loosing is not to be understood here in terms of spiritual warfare. And I'm sure many of you, like me, have heard this verse quoted in some way or another in terms of that. We bind this, we loose this on this scripture. This scripture is not about spiritual warfare. It's not about it. It's to be understood within the context of reconciliation and forgiveness, of what is permitted in true community and what is not permitted. When the community holds a person accountable in a grace-filled and mercy-focused way and refuses to allow inappropriate behavior and attitudes to continue that causes hurt for others, they have the support and endorsement of heaven. When the community demonstrates grace and mercy to the one who demonstrates inappropriate behavior and attitudes that causes hurt for others, they have the support and endorsement of heaven. 
Two agreeing in what they asked for in this passage in Matthew 18 is not about joining with another person to strengthen our faith in order to increase our odds that God will answer us and provide for us what is being prayed for. Almost every time I've ever heard this verse quoted by someone, it's within that context. You agree with me, our faith together will move the hand of God to the resolution that we seek. But that's not what this verse is about. It's a promise that if the one who is offended and the one who is the offender come together in agreement and reconciliation, their decision on earth will be ratified in heaven. God looks down on that and says, I honor that. I honor that. That's what I want to see. That's, you know, I'm, you're gathering, you're, you're agreeing together, and I'm honoring that. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst of them. It's not a verse about the spiritual dynamic of what happens when believers gather together. Again, I've heard many times, right? You're having a gathering and only a couple of people show up and someone says, well, you know what the Bible says? If two or three are gathered, I mean, so I guess he's here, so let's just have the meeting, right? It's not about that. It's not a verse about the spiritual dynamic of what happens when believers gather together. That's not what this verse is about. That the sheer size of our gathering somehow meets some threshold requirement for God's presence to come. That's not what it is. I know many of us have said it and, and you know, we, we, we say these things without really thinking it through. And personally, I really, I don't like it when, when people invite God to come. Or at the end of a service, you hear someone say, wow, God showed up today. I, I, I really feel troubled by those statements because, folks, God's presence is with us when we're alone. God's presence is with us when we're with one or two others. God's presence is with us when we're in a large crowd. God's presence is with us when we gather for spiritual things. God's presence is with us when we gather for practical things. Jesus promised to never leave us or forsake us, that his presence would always be with us, that the promise that the Holy Spirit, the comforter of God, who abides with us regardless of the size of the gathering or the focus of the gathering, we would never find ourselves alone because God's presence would always be with us. We welcome God. We acknowledge God. But we don't ask God to come because he's already here. He's already here. It's never that he's not here with us. It's often that we just don't recognize and acknowledge his presence. And the truth be told, it's not God that needs to show up. It's us. <laughs> we need to show up because we can be here but not be here. It's not God that has to show up. God always shows up. God always shows up. Yes, we can be physically here, but that doesn't mean we're engaging him spiritually. It doesn't mean we're focusing on him. What the Bible teaches us is that our God is an omnipresent God and he is everywhere at all times and he is always with us. And so these verses remind us that when the followers of Jesus pursue reconciliation with an attitude of humility, the authority of heaven is exercised. That the approval of heaven is on us 
and we have the assurance that God's presence will, will be with us because he will bless what he sees as good. Reconciliation and forgiveness is non-negotiable in the kingdom of God. Jesus forgives us and reconciles us in our relationship with God, and we forgive one another and are reconciled to each other. Because reconciliation and forgiveness can only happen in the context of humility. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach here. That's, that's his theme. That's his focus. I'm going to invite our worship team back this morning. It's a challenging situation to find ourselves in an environment where we have hurt others and need to make that right. And it's even more challenging to find ourselves in a situation where we've been deeply hurt by others. And something needs to happen for reconciliation and for God to do something significant and deep in our lives and in our relationships. I would suspect that all of us have been on both sides of those roles. There have been times where we have hurt other people. And there are times when we've been hurt by other people. And sometimes the easy way out of a very painful, uneasy situation is to avoid reconciliation and avoid dealing with the issues at hand and and bringing healing and hope to a situation. And I recognize that there are some specific situations that are actually very, very complicated and and, and, and these things are, are almost impossible. But what Jesus is talking about here is within the context of a faith community, of a group of people who honor him and live for him and desire him, who are followers of his, and how we are to relate to one another. And so I'm going to invite you, would you stand with me this morning? And, and as the worship team leads us this morning, There may be a scenario or a situation in your life. There may be an unresolved conflict with another believer. Maybe you were deeply hurt by them or maybe you deeply hurt them. And today what Matthew 18 does for us is it calls us to the humility of reconciliation and forgiveness as hard and as painful as that is. And what I find encouraging here is that Jesus is the one who's calling for this. And if there was ever one who was more betrayed, more let down, more harmed, physically abused, and yet demonstrated such incredible humility to the point of being able to say from the cross, Father, forgive them. That's the one who's calling us to reconciliation and forgiveness this morning. One who demonstrates the ultimate of humility for us. Who was God laid that aside for us? As our worship team leads us this morning, would you reflect on that? Would you reflect on anything that you may personally feel the Holy Spirit prompting you to do in terms of restoration and forgiveness? As the worship team leads us this morning, I'm going to slip down to the front, and if any of you would like 
me to pray with you this morning for any particular thing that may be a burden on your heart today. I would like to take that opportunity to do that with you. So Andrew and worship team, would you lead us this morning? this morning we are reminded of your amazing grace towards us that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us thank you for the humility that you demonstrated for what you endured to reconcile us to you to your father Father, this morning as we read the words of Jesus in Matthew 18, we're reminded that it's also important that we demonstrate the same attitude of humility 
with the same desire of reconciliation and forgiveness with each other as a model of what Jesus has done for us. Father, today I pray that you would help us for those who are hurting this morning, those who have been offended, those who have been on the receiving end of very painful circumstances this morning. I pray for your healing. I pray for your strength. I pray for your help. And I pray, God, that the pain inflicted in our lives would not keep us from following your instructions of reconciliation and forgiveness. And for those of us in this place this morning who have offended others, who have hurt others, who have done things or neglected to do things, said things or neglected to say things, that has caused pain to another person, we ask for your forgiveness today. We pray that you'd ask, help us to seek out those we have hurt and seek their forgiveness. But Lord, what you look down on in our lives, you will see. Not alienation, not anger, not hatred, but you will see reconciliation and forgiveness and love and grace and mercy. And Lord, as we leave this place today, we pray that our lives every moment would be saturated with grace and mercy in a world and in circumstances that cause us to demand forgiveness and change. God, I pray that you would help us to be those who carry mercy and grace into this broken and confused world. We ask these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Oh, let's pray. Sorry. Father, for those in our congregation this morning, we pray for Ray Chan. Father, just be with him. You bring peace, comfort, and strength to him right now. Lord, to his family, for strength for them. Lord, we pray today for James Cornelius, for your abiding presence to bring peace and strength to Cami and the family. Care for James. Lord, today we pray for Stalma as she continues to improve and works in her recovery. Lord, others who may be here today that have needs, Lord, would you touch them? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.